it's time once again for my favorites file episode this month i'm going to talk about a couple of things that are really near and dear to my heart one has to do with my family my parents specifically and their journey with lung cancer lung cancer is something that just doesn't get the same level of attention as what so many other cancer types do and i just don't think that's fair because as you'll hear in in the episode lung cancer is it's among the leading cause of death from cancer but yet it's not it's not researched as much it's not funded as well so therefore we don't know as much about it and that needs to change because it's not fair to the hundreds of thousands of people who are diagnosed with lung cancer and their families to not have that same level of attention and respect given to finding a cure for the disease that they have. So that's one thing I'm going to talk about. And the second is the second is a, is just really highlighting some things that were key takeaways for me from Brene Brown's new Dare to Lead podcast and specifically her interview with Abby Wambach. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Take a listen to the intro and then it will start right after that. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. As many of you know who have listened to the show for a while, both of my parents died from lung cancer. My dad was a lifelong smoker, and my mom lived with him for 60-plus years. Do we know if smoking was the cause of both of their cancers? No, we don't, but the likelihood is high. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, so I wanted to take a few minutes to honor them and share some information about lung cancer, because it doesn't get nearly as much attention as other cancers. It doesn't have a huge fundraising engine like the Susan G. Komen Fund to build awareness for breast cancer, nor does it have a high-profile actor's recent passing to bring attention to colon cancer like Chadwick Boseman. According to the American Cancer Society, lung cancer, both small cell and non-small cell, is the second most common cancer in both men and women, not counting skin cancer. In men, prostate cancer is more common, while in women, breast cancer is more common. The ACS estimates for lung cancer in the United States in 2020, there will be about 228,820 new cases of lung cancer diagnosed. That breaks out to 116,300 in men and 112,520 in women. And there will be about 135,720 deaths from lung cancer, which is 72,500 in men and 63,220 women will die of lung cancer. Lung cancer occurs mainly in older people. Most people diagnosed with lung cancer are 65 or older. A very small number of people diagnosed are younger than 45. The average age of people when diagnosed is about 70. Both of my parents were over 80 when they were diagnosed. 
Lung cancer is by far the leading cause of cancer death among both men and women, making up almost 25% of all cancer deaths. Each year, more people die of lung cancer than colon, breast, and prostate cancers combined. On a positive note, the number of new lung cancer cases continues to decrease, partly because people are quitting smoking. Also, the number of deaths from lung cancer continues to drop due to advances in early detection and treatment. But there's less money spent on lung cancer research than most other cancers. In recent years, the National Cancer Institute estimated that our government spent over $11,000 per breast cancer death for research and just $1,100 per lung cancer death. Lung cancer takes almost twice as many women as what breast cancer does. This lack of funding drives talented young researchers away from lung cancer, despite their interest or commitment in finding more out about the disease. These last two stats are from the Breath of Hope Lung Foundation. As a comparison for you, to just put, in, put this in perspective, the American Cancer Society has a total of 87 lung cancer grants in effect as of March 1st, 2020, and that is equal to $28 million in grant funding. When you compare that to breast cancer, the numbers are 168 grants and $69 million for breast cancer research. Only 7% of federal government dollars spent on cancer research is spent on lung cancer research. Both of my parents may have benefited from earlier detection. When my dad's cancer was found, it had already spread to several places in his body. I think there were probably earlier indications of his cancer that were downplayed or brushed off, whether it was by him or by his physicians, I don't know. He'd had a couple of rounds of bladder cancer, which is found in a higher prevalence in smokers. And there were times when we were told that there was a spot on his lung that the physicians were just watching. My mom's diagnosis, however, was much more surprising, both in that she had it and in how it was found. She was told by a cardiologist that her heart was in great shape, but the mass on her lung really needed some attention. By the time it was found, it was too large to be operable, and even at that, the location may have prevented a surgery if it had been found sooner. Where I believe she would have benefited from earlier detection would have been stopping the growth of it. But I can look back and say I wish we had done things differently, but the end result still was the same. Both of them had lung cancer. If you know someone with cancer, I want to encourage you to think about how you speak of cancer with them. Not all people view their cancer as a battle or a war to be fought. Some are bothered by the use of those terms. My mother had an attitude about her cancer that was nothing short of miraculous to me. She just said, I have it. I can't change that. I just have to keep going day by day and do what I need to do to stay feeling good and hopefully maintain or slow the growth of the tumor. She was very matter of fact about it. There were no battles for her to fight or wars to win. I became acutely aware of the use of these terms when a family member called my mom a victim. I can close my eyes and be transported back to the exact moment and the exact location when I heard that statement. It stung. I don't think my mom even heard it. 
I had just spent four months with my mom, watching her recover from chemo treatments that caused her to lose her appetite and her hair. Radiation treatments that were over quickly, but over time caused significant fatigue, and when all the treatments were done, five years almost to the day of when I'm recording this episode, she had pneumonia. But she was determined to go home, back to South Dakota, to her own home, to the comforts of her own bed, her own recliner, her own kitchen, and out of my home, where she thought she had become a burden to me and my family. Even during her worst days, she was never a victim. So I encourage you to follow the lead of those you know with cancer. If they say they're in a fight for their life, or a battle, or waging a war with their cancer, then by all means, join them in that fight. But if they don't use those words to describe their journey, do not put that label on them. It is not fair to them. And it may cause psychological stress that they do not need and do not want to handle. They have enough on their plate as it is. I've done some research on this and will include links in the show notes to articles that talk about the negative impact war terminology has on some cancer patients. An interesting fact that I found through this research is that the use of war terminology to describe cancer dates back to the Nixon era. This was a time when not much was known about cancer, and there certainly wasn't an understanding of all the different types of cancer and how each tumor type was different. At that time, it seemed appropriate to call it a battle. A battle against an unknown foe and a war that they hoped to win. In closing, I'd like to encourage you all to find a lung cancer program to support this month. Whether that is the American Cancer Society, the Longevity Foundation, the American Lung Association, or another program currently supporting the efforts to research or care for those with lung cancer. Or if you don't want to give to a national organization, reach out to the closest academic medical center or cancer center. There are likely opportunities to support research being done at a local level or aid patients during their treatment. The Hope Lodge is a home for cancer patients to stay when their treatments take them far from their own homes. There are a lot of people who will benefit from your support. I'll include links to all of these and maybe a couple more in the show notes. Another thing you know about me, if you've listened to this show for very long, is I am a big fan of Brene Brown. Her new podcast, Dare to Lead, debuted in the last couple of weeks. Her first episode lays out the principles of leadership as she sees them, drawing parallels to well-known leaders as examples of what works and what doesn't. It is her second episode that I want to spend a bit more time on, and that is her interview with Abby Wambach about her book, Wolfpack. In this book, Abby reframes a number of common business and life roles while sharing the life experiences that brought her to these conclusions. She says this, Before you can step into your own power, you have to understand who has been holding you back and why. Wow, think about that for a minute. What is holding you back from taking a big step forward, leaving a job, starting a business, moving to a new location, or maybe it isn't as big. Maybe it's something like starting a podcast or applying for a promotion. What's holding you back? And who is holding back your power? Then really dig into why is that power being withheld. 
The first role she reframes is stay on the path to create your own path. As young girls, we are groomed towards certain gender-approved roles. She's challenging this. The example she shares, and it's where the title of the book comes from, is Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red is encouraged to follow the path, to be safe, and do what is expected of her. But the wolf is doing everything he can to accomplish his goal. Abby then says when she recognized that creating her own path would lead to the life she dreamed of, she came to realize that she had always been the wolf. Never Little Red. The second role is be grateful for what you have. And that evolves into be grateful for what you have and demand what you deserve. I love the example that she shares for this rule. She recounts the night that she accepted the SB Icon Award with with her other honorees, Kobe Bryant and Peyton Manning. All three had retired from their respective sports. And as they were walking off the stage, Abby realized that they were all entering into a very different retirement lifestyle. Kobe and Peyton were entering a stage of their life where they would never be concerned over what to do with their millions or where their money would come from. She was entering into a phase of her life where she was wondering how she was going to pay her next mortgage payment. And at this point, it struck her that this was happening to every woman in every role, in every profession around the world. They were all living a few steps behind the men in their chosen careers. And she made another important distinction. She had never viewed her career recognition as something she had earned. Instead, she viewed it as something she was given. Be grateful for what you have, but demand what you deserve. And the third role reframing I'm going to share is this. Wait for permission to lead is transformed into lead now from wherever you are. We do not need the title of leader to be a leader. Abby talks about how during the 2015 Team USA World Cup games in Canada, her coaches pulled her aside and said they needed her to be on the field at the end of the game, not at the beginning. This was a nice way of saying she was being benched. This stung. She had been starting and playing in the majority of games for her entire career. She spent the night before the game in her hotel room playing through all the scenarios of how she could handle this change in role. She could either be upset about being benched, or she could choose to be the leader that she had always been, just in a different way. Her acceptance of this change in role turned into a boost of confidence for her teammates. They recognized through her willingness to be on the bench and cheer them on that she had faith in their abilities to achieve the team's goal of winning the World Cup. This decision had farther reaching impacts than she realized at the time. It solidified her relationship with her teammates for a lifetime. Abby is the one they still call when they need support, when they are going through a challenging time, or when they want to celebrate a significant life event. 
the respect and trust they have for each other may not have grown to this depth if Abby had let her ego get in the way and prevent her from being the team leader she had always been. This example reminds me of Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, in that he shares how in the military, the ranking officers always eat after their troops have eaten. They recognize that the troops have the harder job to do. They need the nourishment and the energy that comes from that nourishment so that they can succeed in their mission. Ranking officers stay behind for the benefit of the team. This is exactly what Abby did and is suggesting that we need to do to become a respected and inspired leader. These are just three of the roles. I believe there are a total of nine. So you'll need to listen to the entire interview with Brene Brown or buy the book to find out the others. I'll make sure to link both the book and the podcast, Dare to Lead, in the show notes. As I think about these three roles and my daughter who is now 14 and learning to step into her personality and her potential as a leader, I want her to live by the reframed roles, not the old worldview. I want her to create her own path. I want her to be grateful for all she receives, but not be afraid to demand what she deserves. And I want her to understand humility and seeing the impact that she can make when she is not at the front of the room, but rather is a valuable member of the team. You just need to leave the ego behind. You cannot be serving yourself and the team at the same time. I'm going to wrap up this episode here. I typically have three favorites I highlight, but when I went so much deeper into both of these topics than I normally would, because both carry such significance for me and I felt they deserved more time and attention. Please remember to honor or recognize those that you know with lung cancer this month. The honor color is white for lung cancer. Make a donation to one of the programs that I referenced before in someone's honor. And think about how you can embrace these reframed roles and continue to make our world a better place. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.